Financial planners use a lot of different language and jargon terms. And on this week's episode, we look through those top 10 terms that we as financial planners might use, and hopefully then this will make it easy to understand them. Enjoy! Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor, and if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective podcast. I'm Zach Masters, and today I'm joined by Anthony Malvazo from AGM Advisory Group. How are we going, Anthony? Good, Zach. Uh, glad to be back. I listened to last week's and you sounded pretty lonely. Um, <laughs> I was lonely. It was like you were quarantined in podcast land. <laughs> so you were too busy gearing up for the grand final. Have you licked your wounds yet? Yeah, it's uh, as we were speaking before and uh, just um, it was a bit of a shock. Um, we were definitely in a position, um, but I... Bit, bit confident we can put ourselves in a position to get back there, but definitely Melbourne deserved it. Um, there's no, uh, got a few Melbourne mates and they're, they're all very gracious. So I think it's, <laughs> if, they, if you're a team that hasn't won a lot, it's a bit different than, you know, um, Hawthorne or, you know, <laughs> Richmond the last couple of years where it's, uh, they started to be cocky. <laughs> yeah. Melbourne were very gracious and everyone was like, yeah, so thanks. And um, yeah, and it happened so quick. So it was sort of like a knockout punch. It was, it was a bit, uh, bit of a strange grand final. It would have been good for the neutrals. Did you have a good night? Yeah, I, was, I quite enjoyed watching it. Um, I said, well, it was about 15 minutes, I reckon, when they just played Melbourne, just played the best footy I've ever seen. Mm. I've never seen anything like it. Then they just turned it on. Uh, yep. so three goals in 47 seconds or something like that. It was, um, yeah, it was sort of two minutes it straight was... after that. <laughs> yeah, two minutes it was done and dusted. But uh, that's footy, and there's, there's always next year. That's it. Well, on today's podcast, there's something I think you saw in the news uh, this week, but we're going to go through the top 10 financial planning jargon or the financial planning terms that sometimes people might get a little confused with. So often uh, advisors can talk in a different language or get some different lingo going. So we thought we might start to help you understand some of these basic terms that we used quite often. Um, so do you want to kick us off with the first one? Yeah, uh, we've... I mean, it's surrounding superannuation and you might hear that uh, someone might hear the term accumulation phase and pension phase. Pretty much it's just, uh, it's pretty, it's when you're working or non-working over uh, uh, to a degree, but it's when you turn your superannuation into an income stream. So while generally while you're working and you can contribute, it's uh, called it's called accumulation phase. And that can go beyond working age or well into your 70s. There's a few consequences there. We won't get into the nitty gritty of, you know, that that detail, but pension phase is where you get a tax-free income stream as the rules are at the moment. Um, as we know, the government likes to tinker with superannuation the last couple of years. Um, there's a tax difference, obviously, uh, in, in pension phase, it's generally completely 100% tax-free. So you're earning, so if you receive a 10% return on your, on your overall uh, superannuation or pension fund, you, that will be tax-free. Within accumulation phase, there's a 15% tax uh, added to that. Um, uh, the main thing is an income stream. So it's sort of like when you accumulation phase is when you're contributing and working and building a balance. Pension phase is when you're retired and um, earning an income. Yeah, and there's obviously some restrictions around when you can start a pension phase. 
yeah. program as well that people, so it's not um, as though when you're young, you can just quickly get in and get started with that tax free. Yeah, and <laughs> unfortunately, it's, uh, yeah, there is, it's uh, over 60 for, for the majority. There is uh, previously it was 55, but that uh, that um, age did go increase. Uh, the idea of, of superannuation is to get to that pension phase. A lot of people use it as to, you know, a tax shelter or an umbrella. Um, generally, you build a balance, you invest it the right way, you contribute along the way. For most Australians, this will be the biggest investment outside the family home, um, unless you know self-employed and look at businesses or other investments. Uh, but it, it is it is a fantastic system if you do um, work it to your to your benefit. And the idea is to get that pension phase, most, pr predominantly up beyond sixty, age sixty. And it can I mean there's no there's no I don't know too many investments that oh, investment structures that pay you a tax-free income stream that generally the government's uh, behind. Yep, that's it. It's gold. Uh, number two we've got is the bull market and bear market. So this is what you might hear quite a bit. Um, so the bull market is the one that we want. So a bull market is generally defined as being when the value of the market has risen by 20% from the 52-week high. Um, so this is great times for investors. We've had a couple of bull markets in recent times. Um, the other one that you've got on the flip side is a bear market. So a bear market is, is when uh, stock prices fall 20% or more in a sustained period of time. Um, so those are the terminologies that you might hear quite a bit in investing terms. So that might say oh, it's a bull market at the moment or in a bear market. Uh, bull market's what we want. Yeah, you also see the bull charging in the papers. They like to have that on the uh, the front page. There's even outside of Wall Street. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you've been or been to New York and yeah. Yeah, everyone likes to get the photo and <laughs> sometimes uh, some yeah, humorous photos of, <laughs> of different parts of the bull. But uh, and then you see uh, definitely the papers like to have a bear on the um, the front or the news. The media likes to have a bear when the markets are falling, even if for one day, if it's a big fall, they'll have a big bear with a claw and blood. <laughs> it's very uh, sort of emphasizes what the day was but it's uh yeah definitely we want the bear, the bull markets that's it uh run us through number three uh we're looking at contributions you'll hear non-concessional and concessional contributions uh pretty much if it's uh pre-tax or post-tax so concessional contribution is uh your, your super guarantee which is your 10 percent from your employer if you work in some in, in, in industries you might get a little more than that um obviously government teaching you know, there are some that pay, I've seen up to 17% uh, paid from your employer. And then your salary sacrifice or pre uh, contributions that you'll claim a tax deduction for. So this is where your, uh, your, fund, your funds will be paid in pre-tax and you'll be hit with a 15% contributions tax once it hits the fund. Non-concessional is where you put in funds that have, that tax has already been paid on that dollar. So this happens when you're close to retirement, you may sell an asset or a business and you might want to place those funds within superannuation phase, which relates back to the point number one, to have it in a tax-free income stream. Uh, so if you do sell a home, you can put uh, a certain amount. Um, it's three, it's 110,000 per year. You can bring forward three years. So that's 330,000. There are strategies to even put more than that, timing it pre and post June and July. And, um, and there's also the, um, the downsizer uh, downsize contribution that the government has brought in. But generally, non-concessional is funds that have tax paid 
already paid on it. So uh, sale of a home, sale of an asset, funds in the bank account uh, that, you know, that you've already paid tax on. Then you've got concessional contributions, which is generally your salary sacrifice and employer. Yep. Uh, number four we've got is financial planner or financial advisor. So what's the difference? Always, a, always a big. Always used to get that question, and I'd be glad to hear what you what your analysis. So, so there really usually is no difference. So financial planner, financial advisor, it's the same thing. We might hear wealth manager, wealth coach. Uh, I don't know how many different terminologies there are to describe what we do. Like people are trying to come up with uh, new ways all the time. Unfortunately, I think a lot, and I noticed this right after the uh, the GFC, it was more just the financial planner, financial advisor uh, sort of um, term was mud. So if you're mm. a planner or an advisor, you were, you know, a lot of people, you know, did get, uh, I don't want to say screwed over, but, you know, <laughs> the advisor didn't do right by them and may or may not have been the advisor's fault. But it was, uh, we, you know, we sort of tried to position ourselves in a different, with a different term, like a wealth manager. Yeah, but usually that it is the same thing. So financial planner, financial advisor. I, I, think, in America, I think in America, it's a bit of a bit more of a difference. I mean, we don't, yeah. go, we don't need to go in that, but I think in America, it's a bit more here. It's a bit the same. That's it. Number five, run through this one. Gearing or geared. So this is when you borrow funds to invest. Uh, to accelerate your wealth, generally there's some tax benefits behind it. Um, it's not really, I mean, it's a lot of people relate it more to investing in stocks or a portfolio, but it's related to property as well. So if you borrow to borrow borrow off your home to buy another property, an investment property, that's you've geared that funds out, those monies out. Um, can be, you know, margin lending is another term where you've got some shares or a portfolio that you can borrow off, use that asset as the security and borrow off that to reinvest more. Uh, it can be a, it can be a, a extremely uh, beneficial strategy or it can be disastrous and have seen both. Um, it's just, you've got to be very careful, but when you hear the term or in a, in a fund that may be in your superannuation or investment portfolio, the geared share fund or the gear or, or let's gear this, gear this property up. You just want to be careful that, you know, you've got um, the consequences because it could cost you everything. Yeah. So essentially like a gearing strategy is you're just taking, you're getting money that's lent to you and then investing those funds. Yeah. Um, pretty much. So number six we've got is SOA. So SOA is one we use quite a bit. SOA stands for Statement of Advice. So this is usually your financial plan. Um, so this is the formal document that you receive. You're going ahead with a financial advisor or financial planner um, that sits down and pretty much articulates what the advisor is thinking that you should do. And this is the personal advice document. So part of the bugbear, well, I don't know if you've got this same annoyance, you're, you're do a lot of power planning as well, but it's a little yeah. Way I, I run a bit. I, I run a. I run a, a business on side of being a financial planner that creates these documents for a lot of advisors. So yeah, it's a big part of my life. Um, very and it uh, does. It's a ever evolving document. Uh, not always for the best. Sometimes it's um, the government uh, changed by government legislation or just your lot your, your people who like that license you. So yeah, it uh, can be a very short document or quite lengthy. Yeah, I think um, most of mine sit around about 45 pages uh, at the moment. So it's, that's the legal document. So there's a lot of disclaimers that, in there. That's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so like this is, that's essentially your financial plan is your statement of advice. So that's the formal document that relates to that. 
number seven. Number two, that. PDS. You might hear this across uh, by uh, cre- uh, car insurance, home insurance, superannuation and investments, generally any, any product. It's a product disclosure statement. This is has all the nuts and bolts of the product that you're purchasing. So uh, an insurer, a superannuation fund, whatever the product is, this is their legal document. So this is where a customer can come back and hold the company to account. Um, they get updated on an ongoing basis. This is where this where their this is their legal document. So um, as advisors, we need to provide one to every client that we uh, provide advice for a particular product, um, but it's not our legal document, but we do need to provide it for every. Yeah, I think that's an important point to make is that if you are receiving advice from a financial planner um, and let's say they recommend maybe Zurich insurance, then you should be receiving a copy or a link to the Zurich PDS um, as just as an example. so that's, yeah, just one of the disclosed documents and yeah, have a read through, but they are not the most exciting mm. reading, um, but that will outline everything that's associated with um, whatever financial product you might be um, getting into. It is, it is one area in our industry that has uh, sort of, um, sort of kept up with technology where we can get, we can give a link. When I first started uh, in the industry, we used to have boxes of every PDF <laughs> that you could have that that you were able to pro- provide uh, advice on. Every product you could provide advice on, and yeah, it's I mean it'd be quite heavy um, dragging them around. Now we put a link in the statement of advice, and generally that satisfies our requirements, and it does provide a link to the client. And I mean majority of majority of um, clients, I, I imagine for yourself as well, prefer less of a, a book to read there is there it's are much better for the environment yeah <laughs> there is the clientele that does like the uh the the, the hard copy and uh they're they're always interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> uh number eight so we've got fsg another one of those little acronyms that we use so fsg is financial services guide so this is something that if you are meeting with an advisor or planner that you should be given a copy of the financial services guide prior to the appointment and the advisor should run through this with you and make sure to see if you've got any questions. So within the financial services guide, what's in there is usually who the advisor's licensed through, what they can talk to you about or what they're licensed to talk to you about, um, how their page should be in there, the confidentiality. Um, there's usually people in there, like if you've got a complaint, we always say speak to the advisor first, that there's people in the financial services guide that you can get us into trouble with if you want to. Um, yeah, that's pretty much just outlines the stuff that you should know prior to having an appointment or talking to an advisor. Yeah, and mo- most advisors would use this as, I don't know, selling points, the right right term, but you'd position where you position yourself as and your business. It explains what you can, what you can do, um, how, how you're paid, um, the complaints uh, process. Um, pretty much it should be a starting point with a client and it's um, obviously... Um, with the legal requirement for us to provide yeah and with the like if you are looking at financial planners or advisors everyone should have their financial services guide on their website so that'll be a good quick way to go through and go all right who are they licensed through what type of things are they able to talk to me about um who yeah how do they get paid all those different types of things will be within that document so it's usually a good document to look at if you're trying to shop around and see what advisor might be a good fit for you Uh, number nine Dollar cost averaging. 
this is a this is a strategy. Um, but if you do hear, the, if a client does hear this or someone does hear this, it's pretty much when uh, you you have a lump sum, let's say a hundred thousand dollars, and instead of investing that hundred thousand dollars on day one, you spread that out, and it might be uh, ten ten thousand dollars over the following ten months. Why would you do this? Generally, it, it does limit the risk. It's not always the appropriate strategy because if the market is does in a in a good in a good run, have a good run and it flies up, you've you've pretty much bought um, your units or, or your stocks on an, at an increased price. Um, me as an advisor, be, uh, you always try to be a bit more conservative. Generally, a lot of advisors are a bit more conservative. If if it, if you are talking about investing, you know it is a strategy that should be looked at. Um, as I said, it doesn't always play out the way you wanted, but in in if the market does um, turn not the way you were down, uh, you know, a negative negative path, it can it can prove uh, as a valuable strategy. Yeah, I think it's well, the stats tell you uh, because the market's usually on the rise, mm. but it's not necessarily the best outcome financially um, majority of the time. So majority of the time, I was looking at research into this a couple of weeks ago, dollar cost averaging. And the majority of the time, you'll end up worse off. But I, like dollar cost averaging can work really well for say, someone that's never invested before and are nervous about getting started. It can be a way to drip feed those funds in. Like essentially your superannuation, you're using a dollar cost averaging strategy. So funds are going in there and um, whenever your employer um, pays your superannuation guarantee amount. Um, that's essentially a dollar cost averaging strategy. Um, I think that's pretty much all there is for that one. Now, asset allocation. Do you want to run us through the last one, number 10? Yeah, asset allocation. No, we skipped through that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is just the assets where your your uh, investment or your superannuation is invested or your overall position, your financial position. So you've got Australian shares, international shares, property, uh, fixed income, so domestic and international, and then cash, and then you have alternatives and other assets, so such as uh, crypt, uh, uh, cryptocurrency and um, you know boutique uh, assets. Depending on your risk profile, so we're, most uh, all advisors will run through a risk profile with a client. You might be a very aggressive investor, high growth. That would predominantly be in shares and maybe a little bit of property. So you'd be no no uh, defensive assets such as uh, fixed income or cash. Uh, if you're balanced, uh, really depends who you're with. A lot of uh, certain uh, superannuation funds, their balanced funds do have great returns um, that they do advertise. But when you look down into where the funds are invested, some are, you know, 70, 80, and I've even seen up to 90%. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure I looked at one the other day that was 79%. Right yeah. for a balance fund. Um, yeah, like so, balance you like most. And when you talk to most uh, investors or clients, they go, "Oh, balanced." I would presume is 50-50 split. Like that ah. seems balanced, but that's not the case at all. And usually, that's a marketing term by the super funds, because well, right. usually more assets allocated towards growth means a higher return. Mm. Um, generally speaking, um, so then obviously when they market and they say, "Oh, our balance fund performed." 9.3% over the last 10 years. Well, is it really a balanced fund or is it more of a growth fund? Yeah. And the old term compare apples with apples. It's not, it's, you know, it's sort of apples with bowling balls half the time, because if you're comparing a fund and say Vanguard is quite a, quite a 
<laughs> large fund manager, their balance fund is 50 50. Uh, whereas you know, if you're going against a, a, a lot of super funds that are, you know, 70 80%, if it's been a great, a good, you know, five, six years, obviously the returns are going to be higher because of higher allocation to growth assets. Um, sure, you've seen a lot of, uh, whether it's a fund manager or a presentation about asset allocation, a lot of time it's been stated that uh, around 94% of your long-term returns are related to asset allocation rather than individual stock picking or fund picking or, you know, the now it could be Bitcoin or any other type of boutique investment. Um, generally, if your asset allocation matches your profile and where you, where you should be in at that stage of life or for the, the time frame and the objectives that you've got for your for the portfolio, um, that's going to play in a lot more than, you know, did you invest in ANZ or CBA or, you know, buy, buy at this particular time. Uh, uh, within your superannuation, obviously, if you're a bit younger like ourselves, I'll throw myself into you like yourself. Um, generally, your asset allocation is a bit more growth basis spiced um, because you've got, you can't touch the funds for quite some time. You should be moving your asset allocation a bit further down down the spectrum as you do near retirement in retirement because you want to have enough in defensive assets to not have as much of a hit in a downturn. Yeah, and same how you structure the portfolio, pretty much like asset yeah. allocation. Um, where are we putting funds? How are we situating that? Um, like, are you putting two years worth of income payments sitting in more defensive assets mm. so that if your growth assets drop? That we call on the defensive portion of your portfolio first. So it's usually called a bucketing strategy. But as you said, like asset allocation, it's one of the most vital parts of your wealth journey. 100%. And a lot of these terms will be in your statement of advice that we did for your it. SOA. <laughs> SOA. <laughs> well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for today's episode. If you've got any more or you're confused about any of them, hit us up. Or if you've got any other questions, always email us at connect.picada.com.au. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Zach.